I'm delighted to announce that the National Association for Primary Education has exclusively released a video from its Primary Education Summit, Visions for the Future. This video, recorded by me, Mark Taylor, and Al Kingsley, talks about creating digital strategies for schools. This video is available for you to watch now at educationonfire.com forward slash blog, which I really hope gives you a taster of some of the amazing content that was available as part of that Primary Education Summit. That's educationonfire.com forward slash blog. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello, welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you if you were at the live podcast event yesterday. It was fantastic to be able to do a live video podcast on YouTube and we're going to plan on doing some more of these so we can get some interaction with comments and and Q&A as we go through. So yeah, amazing opportunity. And today I'm talking to Julia Lynch from Global Girl Project. Now, when we think of education, I think often our immediate thoughts are school, classrooms, that traditional world that many of us have been brought up in and still work in. But of course, that's not true for many people around the world. And indeed, this is a global podcast. So I thought it'd be really interesting to sort of have this sense of of what it's like for people who don't live in that particular environment. So the Global Girl Project is building an international ecosystem dedicated to mobilising socially minded and community driven girls who live in poverty within the global south to become leaders for their families, communities, countries and the world. One in eight people alive today is a girl under the age of 18. Their innovative programmes are designed to enrich skill sets, generate self-worth and voice and provide knowledge for these young leaders to implement their initiatives within their communities. Global Girl Project exists to provide the platform, resources and support needed to make their voices heard and ensure community and female-led change. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation about the Global Girl Project. Hi Julia, thank you so much for joining us here on the Education on Far podcast. I'm so intrigued by your story and everything that we're going to be covering today because I think being able to empower people in order to give them a community and also to ignite that passion is what we're really about here on Education on Far. So yeah, first of all, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for thank you for having me on this. Um, it's a snowy Monday here in the in the UK, um, but yeah, I'm always excited to sit down and talk with other people who are passionate about education in all its forms. So yeah, looking forward to today. So take us into the Global Girl Project, and first of all, in terms of sort of the origins of that, and also sort of where that aim and those visions have got to today. Mm, it's always always starting with the biggest question, I think. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so global, I'm the founding director of global girl project. And so I started her in 2014, originally really from a, um, just a spark of an idea of how to, um, provide different experiential opportunities for young people who might not, not otherwise have them. You know, and so our focus is is on education, but it's on that sort of, um, you know, different ways for somebody to to learn, right? Um, whether that's through um, sort of experiences that they have um, within their own communities, or for us within a more global context. So 
Um, we are a, we're an international NGO, an international charity. Um, we work only in the global south, so otherwise known as, as developing countries, but um, you know, that's, a, that's a sort of an older term. So we work in the global south and the focus for us has always been around how do you um, mobilize the most marginalized girls to be able to create change. So what sort of um, opportunities can you give them so that they can see themselves in a different way and then learn how to take that, that shift and that change to be able to create the change that they wanna see. So we started as an exchange program originally. So you'll know that you know obviously within the Global North, young people often have the opportunity to travel to different parts of the world, to um, you know, to learn about different cultures, different ways of, of being, different religions and different languages, and then take that learning to really kind of possibly shift how they see themselves or see their world, right, um, and their place within it. And I, from the beginning, really saw that that opportunity wasn't available to young women in particular who couldn't afford it and more specifically who were living within the global south and kind of shifting that idea um, in development especially that um, learning needs to always go from the global north to the global south so for us it's the other way around that teaching and learning is going the other way so that young people who are living in the global south actually have a lot to teach us about communities and the way to live and so we started from that place and eight years later we're now working um, all over the world so in Bolivia, Peru, uh, Haiti, India, Jordan, Cambodia um, and Nigeria and Rwanda and all of these different places um, teaching girls how to lead essentially um, in partnership with amazing organizations in each of these countries. I mean, it really is truly amazing. And you kind of touched on sort of my next question there, which was kind of, did you sort of take what was happening in the global north and then try and implement a version of it in the south? Or you, you take the fact that the world is different and you were able to, with a sort of a blank canvas, as it were, sort of create that own version that you then wanted to develop? <laughs> Um, you know, I think it was probably a little bit of a mixture of, of, of both. And obviously when you start something, as you'll know, you know, you only know what you know. And then hopefully as you, you go, you'll learn more about, you know, what works and what doesn't work. But, you know, I really didn't necessarily want to take our own ideas in the West of cross-cultural cross learning and, and impose them on other people because that's part of you know what we've done for years in terms of development and we know that that doesn't work um, and you know isn't ethically correct either so um, you know it was really it, the beginning was really just about sort of yes learning about other cultures and learning about other ways of living will help us as a global community to create change because once we realize that we're all the same and we all intrinsically want the same things, we can maybe stop hurting each other and stop competing with each other and start working to, together and collaborating to create change. So, you know, that's the same wherever you are in the world, in my experience. But certainly the experiences of our girls and 
the the ways you know that they live and the realities of their lives especially as girls um, within their own communities is quite different and so we work in partnership you know we work with organizations that are on the ground in each of these countries and we take their lead you know we we learn from them in terms of what will work more specifically within their own their own communities and so one of the big shifts that we made was you know we started with an exchange program right but we thanks to covid shifted to something that actually works much more within the, the areas that that we work in so we run now a three-month leadership training that happens in our partner countries so we no longer have girls come out of their communities and obviously you know covid pushed us in that way because we couldn't we couldn't travel but you know there's a bigger piece here that might be different than than what happens here with young people who might participate in, in exchange programs is that for many of our girls you know leaving home is not possible you know they they live in cultures where you know girls and women don't have the same freedoms as as you know perhaps we might have in in the uk obviously that differs depending on you know a lot of different factors as we know but you know the ability to leave home is a huge privilege um, even if it's for a short period of time and so you know we wanted to make sure we could always work with the most isolated girls the girls who would never otherwise have access to this sort of education and training um, and so therefore we had to make sure that we would work where the girls are you know so that they can actually you know access this opportunity um, many of our girls only have in their lives like school and then uh, home right they don't have like if you said you know what do you like to do after school what's your favorite activity that's not a relevant question a lot of the time right that's a privilege that 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 many of us might have here in the global north and so you know being able to provide something that the girls can do that's their own is quite different as well and so we had to make that shift so that it was happening locally that it's run in local languages it's not run in english like many of the other sort of um, exchange programs that exist out there today um, and that's another thing you know many of if you look at exchange programs that happen now there's still an english language proficiency we still work with the understanding that most of the world speaks english which is actually not true you know the global majority <clears throat> doesn't speak english especially our girls so how do we why would we offer an international opportunity <laughs> that's in a language that you and i are comfortable in but most people aren't you know and so again that that's been like a a huge shift for us to be able to to work in the local languages and very directly in um, isolated communities so a little bit of both yeah um, yeah i mean it's really interesting because i think you know, we're talking about so many different countries, like you say, but the, the common themes, I think, through learning generally, that sense of, of meeting people where, where they are. So, I mean, that can be on an education front or an emotional front, or like I say, or it can be on a physical, um, an environmental front. But that just really is the starting point for so many things, rather than we wish it was different or it could be different. It's like, this is where we are and this is what we can do um, from here going forward, depending on what our aims are. And I think also, like you said, we're all human people 
that are feeling that are connecting with people that um you know are kind of being part of a community in so many different ways and that's the same whether it's a school here in the uk or like you say whether it happens to be in the other side of the world and i think when we understand that we have more in common in that sort of the heart of who we are then everything then becomes a possibility doesn't it and i think that really changes the the environment of what you think that you're able to grow into and, and what it is that you can learn Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's that for, for me and then for Global Girl, it's this idea of, of connection and network, you know, and, 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 and the power that those two things can bring um, when we use them to work in collaboration. And, and I feel like the only way we can do that is when we recognize that regardless of our differences, we're actually all the same. We all want the same thing. And I think that that's you know, I mean, we could go into a whole other conversation in terms of what happens here in the UK, of course, right? But, you know, that, that, that is, I think, something that's often missing um, when we look at all different forms of education. And I think that, in, like, in addition to that, it still comes from a, a very sort of Western perspective. You know, and if we look at the UK and we look at the makeup of the UK and all the, the different students who are who are here going to school and learning, you know, as you said, how do we start from where somebody's at? Well, let's not start from where we're comfortable in terms of where somebody's at, you know. And so like a lot of what we need to do here and globally is to not only start where somebody's at, but also recognize that that might be quite uncomfortable for us. And we 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 may not know what we're doing and then finding people who do and, and forming those networks and collaborating with people so that we can, we can really um, help people to connect, help students to connect more to their own learning, you know, when they see themselves represented, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so important. And, and that's a huge piece of our work too, is like we want our girls to see themselves represented in everything that we do. And so the curriculum, you know, is adjusted in a way so that the girls can can be a part of creating that curriculum um, so that their voices are heard, um, you know, and making sure that, that it's all different voices that are being highlighted equally um, as opposed to sort of a, a Western voice, which is often seen as kind of, you know, having different impact or a bigger impact. Yeah. And um, and so as you've explained, you know, the, what it, what this looks like for every girl might be different for the simple fact, like I say, depending on where they're living and, and what they're doing. So take me take me through kind of what is the same, you know, in, in terms of that sort of you know, what is leadership training um, sort of in your eyes in terms of what you're trying to get across and then what they can take as they're doing it and then sort of moving forward as well. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, we, we, what we do is we kind of, we offer a, a base curriculum that then creates opportunities and touch points um, within that curriculum so that our local facilitators can adjust to something that is, you know, culturally relevant. But the, the, the general journey that all of our girls go on is, you know, starting in, um, we're creating an ecosystem for social change is what we're calling it, right? And the entry point into that ecosystem is what we call the Global Girl Leadership Initiative. And that's a three-month program that girls 
come into through our local partners. And so they attend this three-month program weekly. Um, they're two-hour sessions for the most part that are run in person and facilitated by a local by a local woman. And they take the girls on a journey. First of them, you know, learning about who they are, what is their identity. Many of our girls have never been asked what they think or what they want. Who are they? What is their voice? You know, that's again something that, that we, we find is a bit different with the girls that we're working in and the regions that we're working in, right? Um, the idea that a girl has her own voice that is separate from other people in her families, mainly brothers and fathers. So, you know, we start with that. We then start to talk about community. You know, I think it's really important for us all to understand, like, what is community? What is the makeup of our community? What are the things that we like about it? What are the things we don't like about it? What are the things we want to change? What are the things we want to keep the same? Um, and then they start to learn a bit about change, understanding change, so small-scale change and large-scale change. One of the things I think so many of us globally, you know, we look at this, the current state of the world and we're like, oh, what are we going to, like, what can we do, right? There's just so much happening that's not okay. And especially for the girls where we, where we work, you know, it, this is even more the case. And so we want the girls to understand that large-scale change is actually just made up of thousands and thousands of small changes. And that if each of us makes small changes, that's what leads to large change. And so the girls understand kind of the difference between those two. They get to learn about uh, a movement within their own countries that you and I will probably have never heard of, but are very important. Um, and then they learn about other leaders, other leaders in the world, other young female leaders, obviously, which is again something I think we don't learn enough about, especially from a non-Western perspective, right? Everybody's heard of Greta, but there's a lot of other amazing young women, you know, uh, within Africa, for instance, who are like crazy powerful leaders, but we've not heard of them, right? So we want to make sure girls have heard of girls who look like them, sound like them. Um, and then they start to learn about community mapping, understanding issues, you know, like what, what makes up a community issue? Why is it there? Who benefits from it? Who doesn't? And then they start to learn about project and event planning. Because for me, it's all about action. We all talk too much, I feel, <laughs> but don't do enough right and so like let's do let's i think you had mentioned before let's take action and so they actually as a group so these these um three-month programs are with girl uh, groups of 10 to 20 girls at a time and they plan and coordinate and implement their own community action event so the end of the three months culminates with them actually inviting people from the community maybe 100 to 150 people will attend these events to talk about an issue of their choosing. So it could be anything, but, you know, some of the early marriage, um, gang violence, um, you know, environmental issues, gender issues, many different, many different issues that they may choose. And the important thing is they choose it. I have nothing to do with it. I'm a Canadian. I don't know what life is like in Haiti firsthand. And so it's none of my business what they choose it's up to them 
And so they run an event. And so the idea with that is also that they are seen as role models within their communities for many parents and teachers and community members they've never seen a girl lead something. So there is that, I, I feel it's important for people to shift of that view of what girls can do, you know, which again might sound strange here, but if it doesn't, you know, we don't have to go back that far, you know, to be sort of thinking similar things about girls in the UK, right? And so, yeah, um, sure. and then also having a conversation with community members about whatever that issue is. And so that's actually the beginning of their journey. At the end of that three months, they get an education grant. So we really do want to support our girls continuing to go to school. Many parts of the world that we work in, school is not free. Um, our girls, for the most part, I've worked with teenagers for 30 years, and our girls are like some of the most determined, um, focused young people who see every opportunity for what it is. And they know this is a huge opportunity, so they put 100% into it. There's no complaining about learning um, and working and doing. And so they, they then kind of get rewarded with a grant that will help them to continue their schooling. And then they enter our Global Graduates Connect platform. And that is a platform that we're growing. And that's like really that's the next stage of their learning. So there's opportunities for them to um, learn how to write their own stories, do some blog writing. There's, there's content on there about things related to being a girl in the global south that they can access and they can continue to learn. And then we're also implementing a community action grant program so that graduates can apply for small grants to create and run their own projects in their own communities. Um, and then continue that learning and teaching and leading. And that's the journey so far. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is incredible. And I, and I think what it just struck me as you finished there was that the continuing, mm -hmm. like you say, we all talk too much, but you know, you, I can see that journey from the way you explained it. And also the journey beyond that, like you say, is, is, is everyone starts to take it into the next part of their life as they, as yeah. they get older and they're sort of graduating, as it were, from, from what they've learned. Yeah. Um, the thing that struck me, especially when you were talking about, you know, sort of the sort of the male dominance in some of these communities, mm -hmm. how do people get involved to begin with? Mm. Um, because it seems like it might be out of their kind of sphere of understanding or knowledge. Is it sort of within a school setting? Is, mm. is it something in the community where they're able to sort of pinpoint people? Because it just sort of sounded like there'd be many, many girls yeah. who this wouldn't just be coming across their radar yeah. naturally without <laughs> someone being able to sort of come into their world, as it were. Yeah, great question. So you're right. So, um, you know, what makes us different than a lot of international organizations is that we very intentionally are working with girls who would never otherwise find this opportunity. So our girls are for the most part not online. You know, they, they certainly don't have their own phones, but they're not going to be online for the most part, whether it's, you know, a lack of access to a device or internet, but quite often it's actually lack of knowledge uh, in, in how to really even use the online world. Um, because again, you know, our girls are still living in places where the idea of a girl being educated might not be the same priority as it might be here in the UK. And so a girl being online is like, that's even further away from a priority, right? So, um, <clears throat> so that means that we have to go through partners. So we work with um, 
In India, we're partnered with a couple of organizations. One's a very large education organization within India. So their focus is on more traditional education, and they wanted to add in this, this sort of this more non-traditional way of, of educating as an opportunity. So we work with their girls, um, and that means that the organization is already trusted by the parents and the community. Everybody knows that organization. The parents know that organization. So then there's a trust of us. Um, and I think that that's, that's really important. A lot of international organizations kind of still very, you know, colonial way of looking at things. And we're going to go in here and we're going to tell people what they need and we're going to blah, 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 and, and set up, you know, another um, office somewhere. And like, we don't, we really don't believe in that. We don't support that. We don't think that's the way that, that it, that it needs to work. And so, um, you know, we're really working with our partners. So we do have, we have uh, nonprofit, very small, tiny organizations. We have large educational organizations. We just started working with an organization in Jordan that's an education um, organization. We have worked with a, an organization that works in schools in Jordan. So all different ways of accessing those girls who would never otherwise they're not going to do a Google search on leadership training and find us. Um, and so that's really important. And, and, and that's kind of it um, underpins all of our all of our work. So good question. And so you mentioned there in terms of sort of partnerships to, to kind of gain access and support. And like I say, the trust element is, is really important. Mm -hmm. I can really see how that that works so well. It's there must be a, a financial partnership and, and, and people that are able to sort of support that vision. And can you give us a, a few examples of, of who they are, but more importantly, probably the relationship that you have with them and, and why that's working? Mm. Yeah. So we, you know, we are, uh, we are a feminist organization and like that means a lot of different things. But one of the things it means for me is the, that we value collaboration over competition and, 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 collaboration needs to be like true collaboration and so with our partners our program partners we share the financial responsibility of the program so we're not just kind of throwing a bunch of money and, and that's it we really form a, a partnership that's 50 50 so our partners are responsible you know for the things they would already have like providing a space and the internet and a computer they provide the facilitator, you know, and then we provide the curriculum, the training, the support, the education grants that the girls get, as well as the event grant. So they also get a grant to actually run the event. Um, and so, you know, we really, and that means that there's a, an equal buy-in from both sides. Um, and then we just have to find different ways to fund that. So like, you know, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. But, um, you know, we do have some. So our work in Jordan is sponsored by the Jordan Kuwait Bank. Um, and so they're investing sort of obviously within their own communities. Um, but for the most part, all of the other funding comes from different places <laughs> to be able to fund that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's a shared responsibility for sure, which is really a, a, an important reflection of how we work. Yeah, and I think, let's say, that equal buy-in just means that we're all on the same page, but more importantly, we're all putting our efforts in equally and yeah. sharing that vision to make it work and bringing in all of the skills that we have related to what's going to help most in any given situation, which I think is, is incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just tell us um, a little bit about 
how this journey started for you because you were saying you've been involved in in this area for for many years mm. but obviously it started in, in 2014 mm. so what was the sort of uh, sort of the, the catapult that went from what you were doing before to kind of making this become a reality and and, and into existence well you know i'm so i'm a social worker uh by training i have worked and lived um originally uh in canada and then in the uk and then in the us and then back obviously in the uk again or not obviously but i, I live and work in the uk i've worked you know with young people mainly teenagers my whole career um you know for a lot of people teenagers are like you know these strange aliens that that are you know you want to kind of have go away for a few years until they grow up but for me they're they're really uh it's an interesting period of time in their life where they they've got enough sort of autonomy and power and ideas but yes yet are still kind of quite pliable in terms of their sort of abilities to to see things differently um and so i've you know i've always worked i've actually worked within the education system for many years in all three areas, uh, all three countries, um, you know, worked as a behavior therapist in schools for many years. And so I, you know, I, I do, you know, I know, I know the space well. Um, but I'd also spend a lot of time um, exploring different parts of the global south, um, different parts of Africa, uh, India, Nepal, all, all different sort of parts of the world and um, feeling a connection and a pull to be able to maybe shift the way I was working you know and as I said I've worked in, in a number of different countries for many years but I'm also somebody who likes to do things differently I'm somebody who likes to live way outside the box you know I live in a canal boat right now in the UK and that's our headquarters um, and so and I'm also somebody who believes a lot in or not a lot completely in, in, in inequity and things being fair, you know, and and so um, there just kind of really came a point, I think, as I approached 40, where I wanted to make a shift to work internationally and bring, you know, some of the opportunities that I saw um, available to young people in the global north to to other young people. Um, and I started, you know, I didn't start off by like, I'm going to run my own charity. I started off by approaching other organizations who were doing at, the, at that time kind of exchange programs and, and suggesting what I wanted to do. Um, and they all kind of came back saying, well, no, your girls kind of would have to do what we do. And I'm like, well, that's not really gonna work because our girls, they, won't, they don't speak English, you know, or they, they can't leave home for a year. Like, you know, a lot of it was like, oh, they can come to the US and get a math credit. I'm like that's useless to them <laughs> it's not right and they can't leave their homes for a year they're integral parts of their family they're child carers they're laborers they you know um and so after really kind of trying to find a way to do it easier i chose the harder way which was you know to to initially we had a fiscal sponsor um and i started with one girl from brazil um and then the next year I started, I had three girls from India and, you know, and then we, we just kind of slowly grow. We became incorporated in the U.S. Uh, and then eventually uh, as a charity here in the U.K. in 2019. But I think for us, it's been a very slow process, um, I think, because we're doing things differently. Um, we are a woman led organization. 
uh, were led by women of color. Um, you know, we work mainly all with girls and women, um, you know, of color who are obviously living in the global south. And so there's particular challenges to that. And so it's been kind of a, it's been a slow and intentional process um, because we're having to, we're gonna, we're having to make things up, right? Because we can't use old, old models of teaching and learning and education to do what we're doing. We're having to actually create it as we go um, and then find funding to support that, which is a whole other conversation. Yeah. I can imagine, and um, and uh, but I, th I think the thing that really is important, as you were talking, I just I just suddenly thought, but because it's so intentional and because it's so authentic and it's so real, like say the 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 speed of the growth is as it should be in order yeah. to to have those foundations and and be able to affect as many people as you can. Like say whether it's one person in year one to you know your sort of current cohort as it is it were in sort of 2022 um and the other thing that really i found really interesting was the way you were talking about teenagers because like i say so often it's that kind of it's just the teenage years and when they're a bit older and a bit more mature we can kind of talk about what you're going to do afterwards or how you're going to yeah. show up in the world as it were yeah. um and i think it, it tied in really well from what you were saying in terms of that buy-in idea because i i agree that when you're sort of teaching teenagers or when you're trying to sort of say this is what you want to be doing mm -hmm. then of course you, you get into all sorts of issues as soon as you're working together when you're sort of like say that idea of being sort of malleable so that you can have conversations you can put things in place things which are important to individuals like you say yeah. whether it's within their community or projects they want to get involved in then you get the best of both worlds because you've still got the youth and you've still got that real excitement about what's possible but you're giving them the belief that they can do it, which I think is the hard thing as a teenager because you believe someone else has got that power so often. And I can really see how those two things tie in really well in terms of what you've been able to create. Yes. I mean, I think, t you know, teenagers in particular, but really all of us, you know, we want to feel like um, we're the ones who are making the decisions and we're the ones who are in control, but teenagers in particular. So, you know, the, the trick is always to make a teenager think that they're the ones who've made the decisions, first of all. So you just give them a give them a bunch of options, <laughs> all of which you are okay with and let them choose. And, and, and you know, and then they get the buy-in. So it's really like they, it has to be their own idea. And so that's a lot of how this program works is that, you know, it, that they, they are going through a journey. We're not telling them anything. We're asking them. We're asking them what they think. We're, we're creating opportunities for conversations and, and we're asking them to step up. And most of us and teenagers in particular are, are really wanting that, you know, and, I, it, and things are a bit different here. You know, I think when, when we have more opportunity, Sometimes, you know, we don't recognize that, you know, and uh, the girls that we work with have very few opportunities like this, if any. So I think they kind of make better use of it sometimes. Um, but, you know, it's definitely important that that, that buy-in comes from them. And I think the other thing is, it's like, we don't, we're asking them to create the opportunities for others. And, and that's, that's the piece. We're giving them a lot more responsibility than they've ever had and saying, we, you know, we believe that you can do this. We believe you can make use of it. And that, that makes a huge, 
a huge difference. Like we have, when we did, so with the exchange program, the girls created their own projects where th that they had to run uh, when they went back home. Um, and like we have a 100% success rate. They, they all completed their projects. Same with our, our events. They all do their events. They all do well, you know, and that's, I mean, for teenagers is pretty unheard of, right? So, you mm -hmm. know, it's, 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 you know, it works. And I think it's because it's, it's a journey of them learning and teaching each other as opposed to us telling them anything really. And that makes a big yeah, difference. I agree. I, I, th I think it's so perfectly put. And like you say, it's, definitely true of teenagers but i think it's true of us generally and i think when we've got that mindset and that understanding then it does change the way we interact and relate to people in so many different scenarios which i think is really important um i'm always curious when people are involved in education whichever way is there a teacher or an education experience that had an impact on you and and what have you sort of drawn from that in terms of of, of what you're sort of implementing there mm. I think it's interesting. Like school was school was so long ago. I can barely <laughs> barely remember it. Um, you know, but I think really, I so when I was fourteen, I went on an exchange program. Um, I I was living in Canada. I was in French immersion, so I came to France. Um, you know, as you do at 14 and, you know, lived with a family and, 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 you know, did that whole piece. And, and that for me was kind of like that first, um, introduction to the idea of sort of cross-cultural escape. And then she came, you know, she came to Canada, um, and really seeing the value of being immersed in another, another way of being. Um, and that's something that I've then carried through obviously within global girl but really to the rest of my life you know to put myself consistently in 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 um conversations that i know nothing about uh places where i don't speak the language i don't know the culture and just sitting and soaking it in and learning you know one of one of the best conversations i ever had with was with this 90 i'm sure she was 90 or 100 year old woman in Tibet, I was in Lhasa in the Tibetan quarter and we sat for hours talking. We don't, we didn't speak the same language, um, but you know, we, we connected and we had a conversation in many different ways. And, and that's something that, you know, I think I learned through that, that experience, that exchange that, that we don't have to speak the same actual language to be able to connect um, and speak and learn from each other. Um, yeah, well, I think that's, that's the one. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it is a, it's amazing that, and I think just sort of expanding on that in my mind as well, just how communication works. It's so much more, even if you are talking the same language, the communication is telling all sorts of different things. And so I think like, say in some ways, when you take the language barrier out of it altogether, then that actually it just becomes a much more kind of personal connection and like. Yeah. I can really see why that would be such a powerful experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a piece of advice that you were given that's had an impact that you'd like to share, or maybe a, a piece of advice that you'd give your younger self now, looking back with the experience that you have? <laughs> I think that it's, you know, there's, there's this whole piece around... Um, 
obviously around my work is in leadership, you know, and um, I think that in leadership, we, we talk a lot about how people need to like take a course um, to learn how to lead or if they just do this, you know, you go and you get your degree or whatever it is, then you can. And I think what I wish I had known and what we teach our girls and what I, I want people to know is that, you know, you, you already have those pieces within yourself. You know, we teach our girls that you're already a leader. These are the reasons why, you know, and then just as what are you going to do about it? Now, you know, you know, and there's an old, uh, you know, quote from Maya Angelou is, you know, we, we do what we know. And when we know better, we do better. And I think it's, it's this idea of knowing, you know, so knowing, sure, maybe you, <clears throat> you know, when you become this age, you want to be this person and do this. But the, but, but there's a process that starts well before that. And you have a responsibility to put those into action now. Don't wait. We're constantly waiting and putting off things because we have a million excuses as to why. And part of that is that we're, you know, we're not a leader yet. We don't have that course, that training, that experience. And I, and I don't think that that's true. I think that the, 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 the step is to take, just take the first step, you know, knowing that you don't know all the other steps and that that's okay. Um, and you won't actually know the other steps until you take the first one. So don't keep, yeah. don't keep putting <laughs> off the journey because you can't see the end of it. That's not in my experience yeah, I mean, how that, it works. <laughs> yeah. And that's brilliantly put because I think like you say, so many people talk about that, but it's, it's that being okay in that knowledge that you're not going to know until you start that journey. And I, and yeah. I love that idea of you already have it, which is basically we're exposing what you know and giving you that strength to kind of move in. And it takes us perfectly really into um, our acronym which um, is part of Education on Fire, is feedback, inspiration, resilience, and empowerment. And it was the empowerment part that suddenly struck me there in terms of what you were saying mm. with that kind of just showing people that you have all these things already and and, and how you can sort of then use that to, to take that next step. But um, yeah. when you hear those those four words, what is it that, that first strikes you? As I said, it's um, feedback, inspiration, resilience, then empowerment. <laughs> Well, feedback, I mean, feedback is obviously, it's something that I think is important. It's like a two-way, you know, it's that two-way street. We always need, we need feedback from others, but we also need it from ourselves. And we also need to be able to give it, um, you know, and that's really just about having an open communication generally. I think it's like too much. We just were worried about how things might be received and, you know, and, and how we might sound. And, and I think that sort of that the open line of back and forth is really, really important. Um, you know, inspiration, we all have, to, we all need to know what it is that gets our belly rumbling. You know, I say to our girls all the time, is like, find that thing that makes you really nervous and really scared and, you know, makes you feel like you have butterflies in your stomach. That's the thing you need to do. <clears throat> That's what inspires us. And we all need we need that inspiration to keep going and so i think it's it's important for us each to find that and it's not something that others can give to us it's something that we need to look for ourselves but pay attention to that feeling of you know a rumble in your belly because that's that inspiration <clears throat> resilience um 
it's a hard word resilience. I think it's, um, you know, something obviously we, we kind of, we might use a lot with our girls because a lot of the experiences that they have, I think make them quite resilient. Um, you know, do we, do we necessarily want people to have to be resilient <laughs> to, to get through life? Yeah. Probably not. There's a big question. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's a bigger question. Um, but I think that it is, it's a very, it's one of the most important skills. Like if I look at my own life, um, you know, and if somebody, if you asked somebody to describe me, being resilient would be one of those things, right? Like, what do you, what do you do when something happens that you didn't expect or something that's really difficult, which happens to all of us? Do you look at it as it is sort of as something that's negative or do you look at it as an opportunity? And for me, that's kind of what resilience is. Can you look at everything, absolutely everything as an opportunity? And if you can, then you can do anything, really. Um, and then, what was the last one? Empowerment. Empowerment. I like the word, I actually, we intentionally use the word uh, mobilization. So there's that kind of that, you know, and, and I think it's, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's, it's the same thing, but really um, that from within. So if you, we often use empowerment as an external thing, like something we, we can do to other people, which I don't think we can. So it's like, how do you empower yourself? You know, what are the things that you can do to empower yourself so that you can be mobilized? That's, that's the big thing. So I think it's like, a, don't wait for some sort of external empowerment. It really needs to come from you. Um, that would be my, those would be my thoughts. Yeah. Experiences. Yeah, absolutely love it. And I, and I, and I, and I love the, I love the fact that so much of what we talked about today is all about that internal. It's about knowing you. It's about taking your next step. It's about understanding you. It's about what you can then bring to the world as a leader, whatever shape or form that is in order to change the world, change your experience, support other people, whatever the reality of that then sort of looks like in your community and, and wherever it is you're living. So Julia, thank you so much. It's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And do um, tell us where people can find out more about what you're doing and, and, and everything that's going on. Um, yeah, thank you, Mark. And, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it's the other thing is also like, we are all individuals. But remember that that's what makes up a community, whether it's local, <clears throat> national or international, you know, and so to know that we are all connected, even if we're all working on our own things. Um, and then we have an, you know, a responsibility to teach others, right? Um, where people can find us. So we have a website, which I'm sure will be in the link, which is www.globalgirlproject.org. All of our information's on there. We are on Instagram. We are on LinkedIn, all as Global Girl Project. We're on Facebook. Um, you know, please look us as, I don't know when this is coming out, um, but, you know, we do have... Um, we have a monthly donor campaign, so you can give the gift of a monthly donation if you want, because we are, we're a small charity. There's literally two of us um, who, who sort of run the organization and a board of trustees. And so, you know, we're, we're always looking for sustainable ways to fund our work. We also have a book called More Than One Voice, which is, I'll show it to Mark, but this is actually a young adult's book which is uh, eight of our author, eight of our girls wrote their stories about being a girl and being a leader. And it's all illustrated, it was all done by volunteers. Um, and that's something that you can also um, 
like as a, give as a gift, use in your classrooms and when you're teaching about diversity and inclusion, gender, all that kind of fun stuff. So you can find us all over the place. Fantastic. That's brilliant. Yeah, and we'll have links to all that on the show notes as well. So you'll be able to find all that there. So, well, thank you, Julia, first of all, for your time and, and your, your passion, which comes through so strongly, which is amazing. Um, and also for all those people that you're you're helping and supporting. And I, and I think most importantly, that ripple effect, because I can see that inspiration, as it were, going into the people that you're able to support. And then that just takes you um, far and wide. And that makes real change and, and real sustainable impact, which I think is the, the most important thing. So yeah, thank you so much for everything. Thank you, Mark. It was good. It was great. It was a great chat. So thank you for doing the podcast. It's a good opportunity. Thank you for listening and being part of this wonderful community. With over 300 episodes, I've collated 20 resources from guests that have been on the show to help you in your educational journey and those of you involved with young people. Just go to educationonfire.com and you can sign up on the homepage. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.